If you look at Facebook, if it was actually a country, it would be the third largest country in the world. And I have a question about limiting the amount of marketing that happens to kids when they're online. I'm Lisa Rothman, and you're listening to Chew On This, Fresh Ideas Made to Order. Today, social media, how to help kids have good experiences online. We're at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco, 10 food trucks serving up lunch and dinner seven days a week. This show is all about community, how to make the best use of it to find answers to everyday problems. So we're better to do our show than at a food truck park. I'm eating a quesadilla with carnitas. It has some really delicious melted cheese. I'm getting one of those. Coming up, how to help kids be safe and social when they're online. What's a good idea worth? What about a whole season of them? Chew On This could use your financial support. We've got thank you gifts for any budget. Imagine serving up some good ideas made to order wearing your very own Chew On This apron or jotting down a good idea with a Chew On This pen. It's not some boring old pen. It's a float pen. Our amazing radio food truck travels up and down the length of the pen. Head to ChewOnThisRadio.com to support us. That's ChewOnThisRadio.com. Thank you. It was a jumbo hot dog with uh, relish, mustard, sport peppers, and tomatoes. French fries aren't bad either, and then there's this amazing green sauce. Coleslaw, eggs, bacon. So sweet. Tastes like coconut. Deep fried chicken. Lamb and beef gyro. Loaded with awesome ground chicken. And I had a big, a big uh, 24 ounce can of PBR. And everything I've eaten there has just been insane. Those are just a few of the delicious items people of all ages are enjoying here at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco. Welcome to Chew On This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We take a challenge people face in their daily lives and ask experts how to handle it. We're at this food truck park because it's a vibrant public space where conversations happen and because we can't chew on ideas alone. We'll sample the food truck offerings later on. Today, how can kids use social media to build stronger friendships? How can parents make sure kids are safe without curbing their freedom of expression? Rebecca Randall is the Vice President of Education Programs with Common Sense Media. It's a nonprofit organization that helps kids and families thrive in a world of media and technology. So glad that you're here today. Hi, Lisa. Carly Steyer is a high school sophomore. She's an expert on social media, not just because she's a teenager, but because her father is the founder of Common Sense Media. She's helped them conduct research and develop content for their digital literacy and citizenship curriculum. Glad you're here. Hi, Lisa. It's great to be here. When you hear stories about cyberbullying, do you fear for your kids and their safety? Do you ever wish there were a magic way to keep kids off the internet until they turn 18 so you don't need to deal with difficult conversations and new technologies at the same time? If you're a kid, do you want adults to trust you, to understand that your friendships are as strong as theirs, even though you're texting instead of talking on the phone? Do you want adults to stop telling you to put down your smartphone when they're clutching their own? By the end of this show, you'll have some ideas about how to handle these concerns and frustrations. 
ideas to consider when you're ready to have a conversation about how to stay safe and have good experiences online. I'm going to ask the experts for their advice with my own social media challenge. My oldest son is just starting to read, so I haven't had to deal with these social media issues with him yet, but I really want to be prepared. I was on Facebook the other day, and I realized that most of my friends, I didn't even like them when I was in fourth grade with them. Why do I know so much about their pets and family vacations? Because when they sent me a request to be my friend, I couldn't say no. I can imagine my kids coming to me and asking for advice about this situation a few years in the future. I have no idea what to tell them because I see three bad choices. Choice one, say yes, which I did. Choice two, say no, which seems really harsh, particularly if you're going to see the person. And choice three, say yes and then hide all their posts, which seems sneaky. And I don't want to tell my kids to do something sneaky. Here's my question. How can I possibly help my kids handle a situation I don't know how to handle myself? Carly Steyer, high school sophomore. First of all, um, the good news, or bad, bad news, depending on how you look at it, is that most teens and kids are dealing with things like this, where they have questions about media, um, and you know maybe their parents can't answer that, um, because their parents weren't growing up in the same situation. I would venture to say that, uh, a lot of kids respond too quickly without thinking about, um, you know, is it better to hide my photos from them and keep my privacy um, safe and my, my private information to myself, or would that hurt their feelings? Um, if, if it's a kid at your school or something along those lines, someone you know but are not very close friends with, I think it is okay to accept them as a friend um, with the understanding that the definition of friend online is not at all the same of, as that of a friend in person, someone who you're going to be hanging out with on the weekends. But it is important to keep in mind that once that person is added to your friend list, they do have access to your information unless you choose to hide it. Rebecca Randall? So Carly is exactly right. Facebook has gotten pretty sophisticated with their privacy settings and you're able to go in and use the privacy settings to really navigate and be very specific about who you want to have view certain information. I think the second piece is that even with your friends, there's certain information that you just shouldn't be sharing. And so questions that parents can talk to their kids about and ask them as they start getting online would be things like, as you're posting information, think about why you're doing it, who your audience is, how might they interpret that information. And depending on the answer, you know, depends on then what you put on there. What exactly happens if I ignore it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They don't get any notification of this person is now your friend. Um, if you choose to decline it, they will not get a notification saying that you did decline the friend request, but it'll sit in your requests. Nothing will happen. So I think that's something to consider is that for many adults, we don't have as many friends on our Facebook as teens today do. My stepson, who's 16, has, I think, something like over 500 friends, whereas I have you know, maybe a little bit over 100. And I know every single one of those people that I'm actually friends with, even though I may not have seen many of them for 20-something years. But with my 16-year-old, so he's got 500-plus friends. He doesn't know some of them. Some of them are friends of friends, friends of friends of friends. And I think that many people just are adding friends for that social cachet. So I think that rather than 
worrying about the number of friends you may have or whether or not to accept or decline or ignore a friend request, look at why your kids are interested in having so many friends and talk to them about how really that that isn't necessarily a measure of their worth. Okay, so it sounds like my ideas about etiquette or in this case, netiquette, need to keep up with the changing times. You're listening to Chew On This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We're talking about kids, teens, and social media with Rebecca Randall and Carly Steyer, who are both with Common Sense Media. Rebecca, what are the biggest misconceptions parents have about how their kids are using social media? I would say that the biggest misconception is that parents think that all social networking sites are bad and that it's sites like Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter that are the ones that are actually influencing kids. And really, it's that how kids are interacting and experiencing with these sites that are having an impact. So teens will be teens, whether they're online or offline. And what we know is that technology magnifies and mirrors what's already going on for teens in their offline lives. So for parents, they need to be involved and engaged and really help guide kids because there are a lot of amazing things about social media. Kids are connecting, they're collaborating, they're creating, they're coding. They're doing really incredible stuff that we want to try to harness. So for parents, it's about engaging in what's good and helping kids stay away from what's not so good. Thanks, Rebecca. Carly. What is the most important thing that you want other teenagers to know about social media? I, I think the first thing is that social media sites, things like uh, you know Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and all that, um, it, is, it, it can be a really valuable means of communication and self-expression. With that said, I think social media can really expose your vulnerabilities. Um, and teens will oftentimes post things without considering the fact that um, these posts online are, um, in a sense, really quite permanent. Um, and I think it's important to consider what you're writing on the internet before you know you hit send or post. Um. Because that Facebook wall is a lot more permanent than a bathroom wall is. Absolutely. Not to say not to say that you should be writing things on the bathroom wall either. That's right. Um, but it will be staying on the internet in a way that it, you know it might not if you were to say it in person. Um, and I think it's easier to say it over the internet behind the comfort of a screen. Um, but that you know, you people need to be careful online about what they're saying. Thanks, Carly. Yeah. Let's have a round of applause for our experts. We're talking about kids, teens, and social media with Rebecca Randall and Carly Steyer, who are both with Common Sense Media. Let's get a question from someone in our audience. Hi, I'm Nancy Groover, and my question comes partly from the fact that I have a small company that has a magazine and a social network for girls ages 8 to 14. And one of my questions is about, in, in real life, non-virtual life, kids learn a lot of things by making mistakes and learning from their mistakes. However, those mistakes seem to have a long, you know, a perpetual life <laughs> if they make them uh, on a social media site like Facebook or whatever. So how can we, as parents, create ways that allow or, or find ways that our kids can make mistakes, can learn? while they're doing it, because I can't expect a nine-year-old to know everything uh, a 35-year-old knows. I think you're right, that in the offline world, we let our kids make mistakes, and we can do so in the online world as well. So the information that we do post, by and large, is fairly permanent, 
but that doesn't mean you can't try to actually get rid of it. So you can delete posts, you can, you can find out where your information has gone in some respects, and try to navigate that a little bit. But being online, it's also a relatively safe space. I mean, by and large, you know, kids will make mistakes. They are doing it in a much more public way. The scale to the internet is huge. If you look at Facebook, if it was actually a country, it would be the third largest country in the world. So you do wow. have a lot of people seeing the information that you put out there. But again, it's by and large fairly safe for kids to be exploring who they are and who they want to be, which certainly as they enter their preteen and their teenage years is developmentally appropriate. Get involved and stay involved. Help guide your kids. That's the most important thing that you really can do. Locking them down, shutting them out of using the internet or other new devices and technologies isn't the answer because they will find a way around it. Rebecca Randall is the Vice President of Educational Programs with Common Sense Media. You're listening to Chew on This. I'm Lisa Rothman. When we come back, we'll get more ideas about how kids can use social media in a fun, meaningful, and safe way. We'd like to do a second season of Chew On This, and we could use your help. If you go to our website, chewonthisradio.com, you'll see a link to a brief survey. Fill it out, and you'll show potential funders that Chew On This gives you the information you need to make the world a better place, starting right where you live. That's chewonthisradio.com. Thank you. You're listening to Chew On This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We're at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco because we want to harness the power of community to find practical ways to solve problems. If you're just joining us, we're finding out how to help our kids have positive experiences online. Rebecca Randall is the Vice President of Education Programs for Common Sense Media. Carly Steyer is a high school sophomore who's helped Common Sense Media conduct some of its research. Let's get some more questions answered. Hi, I'm Helen Thomas, and I had a question about how I've seen as an older person how young people, because of this new media, where there's so much focus on computers and internet and your phone, that there seems to be this tunnel vision phenomena where uh, young people don't seem to be aware of their surroundings. They don't know how to behave in public. Is there a way of addressing that? so that people can actually notice the flowers, notice the spatial relationships on the bus, don't walk out in front of a moving car while on your phone, all of that. 
Well, and this is a challenge not just for teenagers, but for adults as well. Yeah, my 13-year-old stepdaughter walked her into a pole because she was texting. So I think it's about that balance and about setting limits as parents. And I think from a very young age, teaching your kids to ask permission before turning on the TV or the iPad so that as they get a little bit older, there's not just that automatic sense that they can go to it whenever they want so that they can be instantaneously entertained really at the push of a button. Carly Steyer. Yeah, um, I, I, first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are absolutely correct um, that as teens and as kids, um, if given the opportunity, we will free- frequently choose to sort of be with the phone or with the computer or with the iPad as opposed to being with people in person. Or as you said, you know, acknowledging like our beautiful surroundings or whatever it may be. And it applies to people far beyond their teenage years as well. Um, So I think it's really important, um, and I say this because I have parents who will tell me when we're driving in the car together or at meals or whatever it may be, you know, put the phone away. Um, I think it's really important to model that behavior for your kids because having a parent tell you to put your phone away when theirs is out, I have absolutely no interest in... (laughs) I'm just far less likely to respond to that in a positive way. Um, So I think it's really, really important to model that for your kids. Um, In my house, we have very strict rules about certain times, like no phones out at mealtimes and things like that, where if you set the limit and that's the expectation for everyone, we're much more responsive to that. Uh, The other thing I would say is that you do have to allow them some time to explore. There are really great outlets through media. And if you put too strict of limits in place, I, I think you stifle their creativity in a sense and their self-expression. Um, I think it's important to allow kids to have those outlets, um, but at the same time definitely acknowledge times during the day or places um, or situations where it's really not okay for anybody to be on their phone, including the parents. Carly, what are some of the rules you've got? As I said, there's no phones at mealtime we're not allowed to take our devices to bed at all um, because it can definitely get in the way of sleep. When we're on vacation, we're not allowed to bring our phones or our laptops unless it's for schoolwork. Um, These are pretty severe rules a lot of the time. Um, And as Rebecca was saying earlier, it really depends on the family and the kid and the age and the gender and all of that. And and it it is okay to have media sometimes. Like there there are really, really great ways that media can be put to use um, individually and as, as a means of like bonding. So I, I, I think that it's important to you know, keep your own family values and ages and, and all of that in mind when you're coming up with these rules. Let's have another question from our audience. Hi, Fred Kay. I'm the parent of a tween. Um, uh, you commented on Facebook having a certain level of permanence. There are evolving apps such as Snapchat where the data is not permanent, where it's there in a transitory fashion, so it appears and disappears. So it's really my concern is one about safety for applications such as Snapchat and other evolving applications. Snapchat, I think, is on a lot of parents' minds these days. So for those of you that don't know what Snapchat is, you can basically snap a photo of yourself, send it to someone else via text, and then it disappears within a certain period of time and it can't be forwarded. So on the one hand, that to some degree I think bodes well, that there isn't a permanence to it, but I think that kids then have a false sense of security because they realize, oh, that can't be forwarded to someone. But you've still sent a picture of yourselves and sometimes they're provocative or semi-nude photos. And I think that the real conversation to be having with kids 
is to some degree about the technology, but also about why they are actually sending those kinds of images to each other in the first place. Carly Steyer? Yeah, I'd just like to add, um, Rebecca talked a little bit about a, like a false sense of safety. Sometimes parents are quick to forget that kids are we're very, very savvy, and we will find a way to save those photos if, if at all possible. You would think that, you know, a photo that's only up on the screen for three seconds is absolutely gone after that. I will assure you that kids have already found a way to screenshot those photos, which are only supposed to be in existence for three seconds, and we will save them to our phones and text them everywhere. So it's more than just keeping up with the latest technology. It's really about talking with kids about what they're sharing and why they're sharing it. You're listening to Chew On This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We're talking about kids, social media, and safety. Our experts are Carly Steyer and Rebecca Randall with Common Sense Media. We're at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco with children, teenagers, and adults who want their online experiences to be as fun and safe as possible. Rebecca and Carly are going to help us establish some rules of the road. Rebecca, take it away. So does anyone have any safety rules that if you're a parent that you provide to your kids just for being safe offline, so in the non-virtual world, or if you're a kid, what kinds of rules do your parents share with you about how to keep yourself safe and healthy? Look both ways before crossing the street. So in the online world, I would say the parallel is self-reflect before you self-reveal. And by that, I mean think before you post something. Uh, be, be careful who you talk with. So the parallel for the virtual world is kind of the same. Be careful who you talk with. So online, you don't know necessarily who you're speaking with or engaging with, and you have to recognize that you can be whoever you want to be, which also means that someone else can be whoever they want to be. And you have to make sure that you know who you're talking to. And really, it's the, the same rule applies. Don't, don't talk to strangers. Uh, listen to your feelings. If something doesn't feel right to you, that means something. I think that actually is a perfect parallel. Listen to your feelings when you're online. I think that a lot of adults and kids think that maybe there's a difference between the online and the offline world. And while there are some differences, fundamentally, everything going on with the internet, you still need to follow some basic rules of parenting. They're really just rules of the road that are the same if you're online or offline. Another thing I would say is to keep in mind that other people have feelings too, even if it is online and you're saying it over a, a chat window instead of face-to-face. -face. Um, it's important to remember that they, they hear it in the same way and maybe in a, in a slightly different way because they can't hear the tone of your voice. Um, just because you're online um, or over text message, it doesn't mean that they don't have feelings. So you've got to remember to keep that in mind um, as you explore social media. Thank you, Carly Steyer. Rebecca Randall, there are similarities between the real world and the virtual world. But what I'm wondering is, where are there differences? I want to know where are the differences? What, as parents, should we be flagging and looking out for? I think there are a lot of things that researchers call the net effect. So Carly talked about this a little bit earlier. But when you're online, things are permanent. So anything you post, the minute it goes digital, it's really not going away. And you can also lose control over it. So not only are things out there more or less forever, they also can be cut and paste. 
and it's really it's replicable. So we live in this cut and paste culture where things can go viral in a second in a way that if I told you something offline and I whispered in your ear some nasty comment about someone else, maybe you would just keep that to yourself. But if I sent it over Facebook or if I sent it in a tweet or a text, millions of people could see it in really a matter of minutes and it could just spread very quickly. So things are permanent, they're replicable, and you also have the opportunity to be anonymous online. And for shy kids, that can be great. It gives them an opportunity to express who they are in ways where maybe they feel safe, where they don't feel safe in an offline context. And then it also means that there are people out there that you don't necessarily know who you're talking to when you're online. And you just need to keep that in mind. So I think that our job as parents is to make sure that kids know how to behave safely, participate responsibly, and really think critically about what they are doing in their online lives. If families were coming up with rules of the road, what do you think the most important rules are? I think there are a few of them. First, I think that there's balance. So make sure that your kids are spending time online as well as offline. You don't want them in their room behind closed doors spending all day with their computer or their iPad or their cell phone, whatever it may be. Make sure that there's a balance where they get to spend time with their friends, running around outside, and doing other types of activities as well. So balance is one. I think that the second is understand how to guard your own privacy as well as respect the privacy of others. So when you are online, don't share things like your address or your social security number. And if you're posting photos of friends from a party the night before, you might want to ask them before you post it or tag them. And make sure that you're treating people respectfully. So the golden rule. So does Common Sense Media have some strategies for families to come up with what those rules of the road are? We have what we call family media agreements, which are checklists that parents can use to figure out what kinds of guidelines are right for their families. We really believe at Common Sense that every child and every family is different. And what might work for my family may not work for Carly and her family or anyone else's. But you can start with some foundational skills and ideas, and then parents can really choose what's right for them. There's a link to the family media agreement at chewonthisradio.com. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation here at the Soma Street Food Park about keeping kids safe as they explore social media and related technology. We'll also find out what one of the food truck owners thinks about social media. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook too. I feel like getting closer to you. I used to be strangers, but now that's not true. Food trucks rely on word of mouth, and so does Chew On This. The next time you're enjoying a meal with friends or coworkers, let them know the good ideas you heard here and send them to our website, chewonthisradio.com. That's chewonthisradio.com. Thank you.
like coleslaw and avocado, garlic fries, which was made of beef and brisket and sandwich, <laughs> tomatoes, Some rice loaded with awesome ground chicken. Um, I had the kamikaze fries. There was a curry like comfort style food udon and uh, it's the basil chicken, green chili. Some sauce. Yeah, that's what I had. People here at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco are enjoying many different kinds of food. I'm Lisa Rothman, and you're listening to Chew On This, Fresh Ideas Made to Order. We take a challenge people face in their daily lives and ask experts how to handle it. Today, how do we help our kids have healthy relationships online? We're at this food truck park because Chew On This celebrates community. And what community celebration would be complete without food? Would food trucks be as popular as they are without social media? Haven't Facebook and Twitter made it easier for people to find their favorite trucks? And hasn't Yelp let more people know about which of these small businesses to eat at? The Taco Saltuca food truck, a frequent vendor here at the street food park, has a four and a half star review on Yelp. You probably think owner Ivan Velasquez loves social media. You know, I do use social media not as often as I should because there's uh, people that are sometimes looking for me or they want to know where I'm at. I think we would get a little bit more customers finding out about us and knowing about us. I like being more social on my own and being able to talk to people on my own, not using the computer. I think, I mean, everywhere you go, people stop socializing. You go out on a date with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, whatever it is, and the majority of the time the people are sitting there playing on their phone instead of talking about their life and what's going on and, you know, what's going on in their life to make the relationship better. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of it. Every day is a different day. You have your slow days, you have your busy days. You have some type of interesting conversation to have with certain customers that come in every day. It's just being mobile, being able to drive pretty much anywhere and open up shop and serve food. When I went to high school, college, I couldn't really sit in a classroom and pay attention to the teacher. I would always excel in my hands-on classes. So then one day I just decided I'm going to try culinary schools, and I ended up enjoying it. Well, I used to teach here at the, in San Francisco in the culinary um, in the culinary school, and from there I started helping out a friend in the taco, taco business or the taqueria business, something I was interested in doing and I enjoyed doing, and I bought a taco truck. There was a gentleman, actually, that when I started in the taqueria business with one of my friends, that uh, he just had the time to show me a lot of different things, and it just happened to be that his nickname was... Tuca. Basically, Tuca is a toucan. So when we first started the truck, he, uh, he helped me out a lot. He showed me a lot. So I named it after him. <laughs> yeah, but overall, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good business to be in. I love it. I enjoy it. I have a good time. You're listening to Chew On This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We're at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco because food truck parks like this one give us the chance to hear from a broad range of community voices, voices like yours. If you aren't able to attend the show, but you'd like to ask a question or share information, visit our website at chewonthisradio.com. We're talking about how kids can use social media in a fun, meaningful, and safe way. Rebecca Randall, the Vice President of Educational Programs with Common Sense Media, and high school sophomore Carly Steyer are answering the audience's questions. Hello, I'm Hildy, and I have a child who's in kindergarten, and we love using the internet as a reference tool, and, it, and it's fabulous. Um, 
but what's amazing and what's coming up for us is um, we're watching The Wizard of Oz, and my daughter is now just totally taken with The Wizard of Oz. She wants to watch it again and again. So we were on YouTube watching various scenes, and we very quickly got from a scene from the movie to a completely age-inappropriate Saturday Night Live sketch in the blink of an eye. And, you know, we supervise her use, but we're not always there. So I think it, it, there, there's a lot of upsides, but how to navigate these, these distances that are just, they're, they're not there in the real world. Rebecca Randall. Common Sense Media has a saying, you can't always cover kids' eyes, you have to teach them how to see. So while as parents, we want to supervise and really monitor their use to ensure that they're not encountering material that's really age inappropriate and could scare them or introduce them to topics that you're not really ready to introduce them to at five years old with a kindergartner. We also have to expect that things will happen in a blink of an eye and that they probably will be exposed to stuff that 10 years ago a five-year-old wouldn't have necessarily been exposed to. So because you're sitting there, you're able to actually engage her in a conversation about what it is that she saw and help her process it, as well as then get off of it really quickly. Certainly there are some families that use monitoring and filtering software. You're able to put on some level of parental controls on YouTube, which I would encourage you to use you know, with a child that young. But I also think that parents need to recognize that monitoring and filtering software isn't a silver bullet and teaching them how to really think critically about what they are seeing and viewing is essential. Hi, my name is Mary. And I have a question about limiting the amount of marketing that happens to kids when they're online. I think that one of the things that parents can do is talk to their kids about how they are actually being marketed to. So on the one hand, there's, the, there's trying to actively limit what they're seeing. And on the other hand, and these aren't mutually exclusive, you should try to do both, talk to them about the different ways that marketers are actually targeting them because most kids don't understand that they are being marketed to in so many cases. Every major children's program now has a licensed line of merchandise. You can't go out and buy diapers or a toothbrush or whatever it may be that you're looking for for a younger child and not have some type of character on it. And that now translates into the online world. So there are many games that have uh, what, what experts call adver games that are basically advertisements in the context of a game setting. So that's, that's one piece of it. Talk to your kids and make sure that they understand that the reason they are on a particular site, so even sites like Webkins that younger kids really like, you know, it's all about getting them to buy the plushy little toys to then go online. So there's a huge element of commercialism that's associated with that. And make sure that they understand that they're being marketed to and that every time they like something on Facebook, Facebook is sharing that information with the advertisers. So the next time your kid is on Facebook, there's going to be some type of uh, banner ad that pops up saying, do you want to go to this concert because you happen to click that you liked a band? That's marketing. The other element, and this is something that Common Sense has been very involved in, is really trying to ensure that the data that is collected on kids, for particularly for children that are under 13, isn't utilized for marketing purposes. And parents can get involved and advocate 
and really sign on for supporting those kinds of policies. That's Rebecca Randall with Common Sense Media. In addition to the policy efforts she just described, Common Sense Media conducts research. They discovered that 9 out of 10 teenagers in the United States have used social media. And of those that do, more than half say it's helped their relationships with their friends. Only 4% say it's hurt their relationships. But 30% of kids say they've been cyberbullied. To combat this, Common Sense Media created a digital literacy and citizenship curriculum. It's been taught in all 50 states and more than 200 countries at no charge. Chew on this correspondent Charlie Mintz had a chance to attend. I heard a few stories about somebody who posted a picture that wasn't very good and then somebody got a hold of it and they posted it up all over their Facebook and then and then all, like by the morning, like when everybody was going to school, everybody knew about that picture and then started making fun of that girl and then that girl went home and she hanged herself. The story this seventh grader is telling me is no urban legend. It really happened in 2009 when a Los Gatos high school freshman named Jill sent a nude photo of herself to a friend who passed it around the school. It's rare for cases like this to lead to a suicide, but cyberbullying is common. Nearly one in three kids has experienced it. So do any of you guys know anyone who's like put something online they shouldn't have? Mm. Yeah, I do. Well, my friend, he posted a picture of him kissing his girlfriend and his house and stuff all over his Instagram. A lot of people are commenting, I don't want to see that. And yeah, a lot of people blocked him. Feeling like your friends don't like you is obviously hard. But situations like these can have even more dramatic, longer-term consequences that kids don't necessarily expect. Online behavior can affect you and your future. This is Buxer middle school computer teacher Brian Van Dyke. In class, he wears Hawaiian shirts and plays the ukulele. But he's serious about helping students understand the long-term consequences of their actions. You might forget that party by next week, but what you do online stays there forever. You hear it over and over again that kids, you hear their eyes like, oh my. Their eyes get wide and their jaws drop and they're like, I didn't think of that. It makes sense they don't. They're only about 12 or 13 years old after all. When I was that age, I couldn't even use the washing machine. Never mind curate my online reputation. So to help these kids get the point, today Mr. Van Dyke is using an interactive lesson. The premise is that there's a TV show called The Trillion Dollar Footprint. A TV show is hiring a host. And they've got their country nationwide search down to two people, Jason and Linda. And here in their packet, you're going to get a profile that came from their application. And you're going to get some information from a private investigator that went online and found out information about them. Mr. Van Dyke hands out packets of information to the kids. It's their own chance to play judge and jury. The packet includes Jason and Linda, the two candidates' online profiles. The kids break into groups to study the information and decide which one is the better candidate. People would say, oh, he's a great person, let's look him up, and then when they find out what he really does, bad great on the show. Turns out this Jason fellow, he's not someone you'd want to hire for your TV show. His online profile gives him away. 
we think that Jason, because he lied about everything, he shouldn't be on the show. He lied about his age, where he lived, and um, he also he hadn't been in the band that he said he had been in for as long. And I think he also lied about his name because on the post it was like he says his name's Jason, but this person is saying that his name's Justin. Justin, Jason, whatever your name is, the kids have found you out, and they know you are not cool. You were barely even in a band. So what's the lesson about social media that you're supposed to take from this? You should be careful about what you, what you do in life because it could pop up anywhere and haunt you later. These kids have this lesson down solid. And there's evidence they take it with them when they leave the classroom. An outside program evaluator recently found the kids who take these classes report being better able to deal with bullying and more aware of privacy controls. So, um, what's your, what's your Facebook password? Not telling you. <laughs> Smart kid. And his classmates are right there with him. Santa Clara Unified School District makes digital literacy a prerequisite for high school graduation. So far, they're the only district to do that. But other districts around the Bay Area and California are incorporating digital technological skills into their teaching as well. So now you can add ones and zeros to the three R's. But don't make that your password. In Santa Clara, I'm Charlie Mintz for Chew on This. You're listening to Chew on This. I'm Lisa Rothman. We're talking about kids, social media, and safety. Our experts are Rebecca Randall, Vice President of Education Programs with Common Sense Media, and Carly Steyer. She's a high school sophomore and the daughter of the founder of Common Sense Media. When we come back, we will tackle the Meal of Fortune Challenge, where a guess is as good as it gets. The first season of Chew On This has five episodes. Would you like seconds? You can help make that happen. Simply go to our website, chewonthisradio.com, click the link to the survey, and in less time than it takes to order from a food truck, you show potential funders that Chew On This is connecting with you and making a positive impact. That's chewonthisradio.com. Order up! listening to Chew On This. We're talking about helping kids stay safe and have fun when they're online. It's time to play Guess Fast. We've divided into teams here at the Soma Street Food Park. We've got some teams made up of adults and some teams made up of kids. Who knows more about social media? Let's find out. You're back in school. Some tests you've studied for, but sometimes you just have to guess. 
So here's today's challenge. It's a multiple choice test. There are five questions. Whichever team gets the most correct answers wins today's Meal of Fortune. Are those number two pencils sharp? Let's begin. What percentage of children between the ages of five and eight have used a mobile device like a smartphone or a tablet? A, 15%, B, 33%, C, 52%, or D, 65%. Rebecca Randall with Common Sense Media. 52% of kids, about, about half of kids actually, zero to eight, live in homes where there's access to some kind of new media device, like a smartphone or an iPod with video capabilities. And is that number also determined by income? You're absolutely right. While most families, even low-income families, have cell phones, it's different when you actually look at smartphones or tablet devices. So for smartphones, about 27% of low-income families have smartphones in comparison to about 57% of families earning more than $75,000 a year. What do you think the implications for that are for these kids in the low-income families down the road? Well, I think that there, there are two issues. First of all, there, there remains a digital divide. There's also something that at Common Sense Media we call the app gap. So we know that more than a third of low-income parents don't have any idea what an app is in comparison to just 3% of higher-income families. And so we need to ensure that work is ongoing, not only to narrow the digital divide, but also to ensure that young kids, older kids as well, no matter what kind of family they live in, have access to educational content. Next question. According to Facebook's Terms of Service, how old must you be to register for an account? A, 10, B, 12, C, 13, or D, 16? High school sophomore, Carly Steyer. According to the terms of service, you have to be 13 years old. I don't want to come across as conservative here, but that seems really, really young. You know, it, it seems awfully young to me as well. And um, how old are you? I'm 15. You know, I think that an age like 13, any, the, the, the years surrounding that age, um, is a time when teens, boys, and girls, um, we're all sort of still trying to figure out who we are. Um, and adding social media into the mix can complicate things immensely because all of a sudden you're, you're considering things like, who do I want to be online in addition to who do I want to be in person? And even little things such as what do I want my profile picture to be can actually consume a ton of your time and energy. The other thing is that while it, it asks that you are 13 years old to start an account, there's, I know that quite a few kids are actually younger than that when they first get a social media account. They're about 8 million kids under the age of 13 that are on Facebook. So when you consider that, 13 actually doesn't seem so young when you've got 10-year-olds that are on there. Yeah. Next question. How many hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute? A, 5. B, 22, C, 50, or D, 72? Rebecca Randall. 72 hours of video are uploaded onto YouTube every minute. That is three days worth of video. But the numbers for viewing are even more surprising and astronomical. We spend about three billion hours a month watching YouTube videos. That's not individual, that's a global number. Amazing, that is so many cat videos. <laughs>
Next question. How many texts, on average, do teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17 send and receive each month? A, 500, B, 1,500, C, 2,500, or D, 3,500? Carly. The answer to that is 3,500 texts are sent and received each month. That is a staggering number. I send maybe 10 texts a week, and it's things like, I'm running late. Did you buy milk? What are teenagers texting about? I, I think the real question is here is, what aren't teenagers texting about? Um, <laughs> for the, I, I think that many of these texts do have to do with logistics. Um, teens have busy social lives, and we're always trying to figure out you know, where's my friend? What is she doing right now? Who is she with? Uh, all those those types of questions. Um, however, texting is also sometimes revolves around um, like very very trivial things. The, uh, another thing is that I know that texting can be used for things like uh, homework help, um, and people will use Facebook uh, for that as well. Um, so it can absolutely be put to use in, in a in a good way. Um, but at the same time, kids oftentimes text about things that are irrelevant or could be said in person or later. Last question. What is a teenager's favorite way to communicate with friends? A. Talking in person. B. Texting. C. Social media. Or D. Talking on the phone. Carly? 49% uh, of teens say that they most prefer to talk with their friends in person. There is hope for humanity. 49% of teenagers say that they want to talk in person. But what I was really surprised about was that the telephone, which was the way that I communicated, and we're not talking like dinosaurs were roaming around at that point, only 4% of teenagers are saying they enjoy talking on the phone anymore. You know, I, I think that when it comes to connecting with uh, people... I, I personally, at least, definitely prefer to talk to people in person. I can see their facial expression. I can see their body movements. Um, it, it's just a, a simpler, more direct way. But it's not always the easiest way or the most time-efficient way to communicate with people. So I'm not hugely surprised that people may have guessed texting um, because it's perhaps you know the, the easiest way to get in touch with people. And people are constantly on their phone. Um, and very, very reachable in that sense, whereas they, you may or may not be able to, you know, drive over to their house and strike up a conversation with them. Here at the Soma Street Food Park, people in our audience formed teams and took this multiple choice test. Their best guesses are about to be graded by our experts. The team with the most correct answers wins. You're probably wondering, what will they win? What's today's Meal of Fortune? Carnitas quesadillas from the Tacos El Tuca food truck. You're listening to Chew On This. We're at the Soma Street Food Park in San Francisco. All the good ideas our experts have come up with about kids and social media are on our website, chewonthisradio.com. Rebecca Randall and Carly Steyer with Common Sense Media, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Our time together is drawing to a close, which means we've got some delicious carnitas quesadillas from the Tacos El Tuca food truck to give away. And the winning team is...
They won the Meal of Fortune with knowledge. But you can also win with luck. People here at the Soma Street Food Park have placed their names in the official Chew on This picnic basket, and two have been selected at random. The lucky winners are... Javier Palacio. Celia Palacio. Our production engineer is Jim Bennett. Matt Martin, the general manager of KALW, is our advising producer. Ashley Ann Krigbaum is our outreach coordinator and production associate. Maggie Ballard is our creative consultant, and Marilyn Pittman is our on-site director. Our mic mavens today are Audrey Dilling and Brooke Welty. The sound editor is Eric Wayne. Brent Norton composed the theme music. Justine Choi, Melissa Fries, Luis Granados, Julieta Kusnir, and Connie Chan Wang are the show's idea advisors. Special thanks to our audience here for asking such great questions. How do you like it? Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. It has some really delicious melted cheese that uh, goes well with the lettuce and tomato and guacamole and pico de gallo. All of the flavors are really yummy together and it has a good amount of spice with the carnitas. You seem to really be enjoying it. Well, I'm Mexican, so I like the beans and the guacamole. Go to chewonthisradio.com for information about upcoming episodes, more suggestions about kids and social media, and a place to share your own successes and challenges. I'm Lisa Rothman. We've heard a lot of great ideas today. Try one out and let us know how it goes. Next time on Chew On This. Gardening, even if you have a yard the size of a ping pong table or no yard at all. I'm interested in the worm bins, um, but it seems a little bit intimidating to have worms hanging out in the kitchen. In my backyard, the planting areas are postage stamped. That's next time when we chew on this. <laughs>